introduction. Uh, Ms. Engel, I believe you may begin. Thank you, Your Honor, and may it please the court. The petitioner today will show that the Indiana board committed reversible error for at least two reasons. First, by adopting Mr. Bramer's conclusions under the income approach, the board adopted values that likely include more than the value of real property, which is an abuse of discretion and contrary to law. Retail sales or gross revenue at a department store are inherently dependent on the business model of the company. Both appraisers indicated that Bramer's methodology might value intangible property, and the board agreed with that risk assessment, yet adopted Bramer's conclusions, even though Bramer failed to adequately explain on the face of his appraisal or in his testimony how he eliminated that risk. Second, Mr. Bramer's conclusions under his income approach are arbitrary and are not supported by substantial and reliable evidence, particularly market-based evidence that corresponds to the years under appeal. The data he did provide is far removed from the assessment dates and largely unadjusted. While he was able to point to a variety of data points pre-Great Recession, he was unable to find one concrete source indicating that his methodology was still sound for the years under appeal. And considering the significant market changes facing department stores over the past few years, the omission of that data from that time period undermines his valuation. With respect to the intangible value of the, the likelihood included in the board's final determination, again, both appraisers admitted that they using retail sales to estimate rent, risk valuing the going concern and not just the underlying real estate involved at the subject property. Retail they didn't say it actually did. They said it was possible that it could. Yes, they said it was possible that it could, but Mr. Bramer failed to how he ensured that the value of the intangible assets and here the going concern was actually admitted, omitted from his final conclusions. Again, retail sales are inextricably linked to a company's business model. That means a business model is an inherent driver of the level of retail sales a company achieves. And by deriving rental rates based on levels of sales and using those rates to determine a value, the, we would argue that the value of intangible assets are inherently and necessarily included in Bramer's conclusions. Business value is not a characteristic of real property. And if business value is in the board's concluded overall values, then that board decision is contrary to law. There is a lot of testimony regarding the different business models of various department stores, the different, the different business or level of sales that these department stores need to achieve. It's based on a variety of factors that are unrelated to real property values, not just at a corporate level, say at the macro level, but also at the individual store itself or somewhat the micro level. At the macro level, the model includes product mix, brand perception and sales requirements, Hall testified to that. Uh, a Neiman Marcus or a Nordstrom department store, which Bramer used in his analysis, are going to sell more high-end luxury mixes of products than a subject or a company like Dillard's, the subject, which sells more mid-range products. And um, let me ask you a question. <clears throat> um, in front of the Indiana board, did you uh, did Dillard's ask questions? concerning how Mr. Bramer removed intangibles from his market rents. 
He did. Um, well, Dillard's asked questions, uh, as did the assessor. Uh, his. I'm sorry, I meant the assessor. <laughs> <laughs> there was testimony, I believe, in direct um, of Mr. Bramer and also uh, with the assessor's cross-examination about how he went about ensuring that that business interest was removed. And the testimony basically was that he concluded to a market level of retail sales and that therefore somehow removed the intangible value of the business. How, how could, uh, how would he have done it differently and still been able to, uh, and been able to prove that there were no intangibles? We would argue that that would be pretty much impossible unless he actually quantified the value of the intangible assets included within those sales. Uh, you know, yes, he tried to determine a market level of those retail sales, but basically by doing that, he's establishing the market value of the intangible assets included in those sales as well. He didn't actually quantify what that, all those data points have are impacted by the business models of these stores and by kind of concluding to a weighted average, that business value is still in there. He never quantified it and removed it. Is this a uh, inherent characteristic of the method that Mr. Bramer chose to use by using a percentage of the stabilized gross retail sales? Yes, it is inherent. The business value is inherent into retail sales. We we would say, you know, if you're looking at say the corporate level, you know, product mix, brand perception, that that's going to be an issue. Obviously, if you're selling more high-end goods, you're going to need higher sales value to cover the cost of those goods. Uh, different business models are also going to require different expense ratios. So anybody using uh, to, trying to quantify value of property that uses the percentage of um, gross retail sales, stabilized gross retail sales, is going to have the same problem. Yes. And, and, um, and he chose to use it. Um, did he use, well, I guess I don't have a question. You go ahead. <laughs> Assessor would also point that the inherent value of the business is included at the local level as well. Uh, obviously, sales are going to be impacted by various management or manager efficiencies or um, inefficiencies, as the case may be. You know how how efficient are the employees at selling their at selling the goods? Um, what what is inventory management like? Uh, you know, again, being that it's inherent, uh, you know, respondent points to the fact that Brainer allegedly tried to minimize the value of that intangible asset. But again, minimization doesn't mean that the amount actually included, the amount of that business value actually included is, is insignificant. And it definitely doesn't mean the amount of that intangible property um, is excluded from the board's concluded values. Uh, if, for example, minimization of that business value still included $1 million worth of intangible assets within the real property valuation, would that be an insignificant amount? Uh, and the assessor would argue it would not be. I, I'm confused a bit. 
why you're taking this tack, though. This seems to be antithetic to any assessor's um, arguments in all the other cases, because if indeed the intangible value, an, an intangible value is included in Bramer's result, because he, for, I think you're telling me there are two reasons. One is his, I'll use the term comparable stores, maybe higher end and have higher sales. And second, management skills may differ. And so that um, those intangibles, if you excluded them, which is I think what you're saying he did not do, wouldn't that lower the value of the property? Are you arguing for a lower value from Dillard's property? We are not arguing for a lower value. I think there is testimony on the record that the intangible value could be a positive impact. It could well, be- Well, tell me how that works. How could so, that possibly increase the value of the so property? It, it could increase the value of the property if the business model is a successful one. If managers are efficient, uh, obviously that would likely lead to a positive value. But if management is inefficient, if they're not generating as many sales as they should, if some of the data points include um, management that has not been efficient, say, for example, you know, a JCPenney model, uh, those data points might be unnaturally deflated. And that would actually reduce the overall value of the going concern. If you're having that negative impact included in the real estate value, that would actually lower the board's conclude that that would mean the board's concluded AV would actually be lower than what it should be. Well, I'm going to uh, use vague numbers here, but it seems that the uh, Mr. Hall's appraisal, I'm going to call it 10 million uh, versus Mr. Bramer's appraisal, which was half of that. Uh, all these are approximates. Um, it seems to me that even if you had some stores that were um, used that had uh, lesser uh, sales than Dillard's or some management skills lesser than Dillard's, would we get a whole nother 100% more in property value from that? Seems unlikely, doesn't it? It seems like an odd argument for the assessor to make because Aren't other people going to come in and say, well, we have to lower our values because uh, the court lets you do it in this case. And so you assessor have to have to take this now that you argued this. I would say that the burden is always on the party um, that has the burden to show that the appraiser or whatever evidence they presented values the real property alone. Um, it doesn't matter whether the value would be lower or higher. Uh, that argument's really irrelevant. Uh, whether but isn't that now your burden to show me that the Indiana board did not consider, did not take into consideration that there might be uh, improper amount of intangibles being valued? I know they said they had a concern, but it never rose to the level in the final determination 
of uh, I them not somebody's got to put their their volume on mute rather. Um, at any rate, you see what I'm getting at. Um, I do, but if that if the valuation of intangible assets is inherent in his methodology, it is extremely likely that the board's concluded values include an intangible that include the value of intangible property, not just the real estate. And I think Hendricks County Mac, the Hendricks County Max decision makes clear that any inclusion of intangible value contravenes Indiana's real, real estate assessment guidelines because it fails to establish the value of real property alone. And the respondent here has not provided any authority indicating that including that value would be probative of the real the value of the real property alone. But really the, it's the board that that accepted that as a um a generally no, they didn't say generally. They said an accepted appraisal method. Um, so if what you're telling me is true, that this uh, method of appraising, of, of calculating market rent using a percentage of um, gross retail sales, if that's always inherently uh uh including intangibles what is what is your authority there should be some authority out there that says you can't use it max hendricks county i think makes that clear if the value of intangible assets could be included in that overall value conclusion we've contravened indiana assessment guidelines and max there was the issue with uh, the fuel pump, some of the discussion was personal property, but there was also some indication that the number of fuel pumps drove the gas sales at that particular gas station, and therefore some intangible property value might be included by true, and that evidence, his fuel pump pumps. That was evidence in the record at in the Max case. What is the evidence in the record here that there is actual intangibles involved, other yeah. than the fact that it's typically it could be? The evidence is that Bramer failed to explain how he actually excluded those intangibles. He said he found a market level of retail sales, but the market level of retail sales that relies on all of those data points does not actually extract the business value that drives those sales. Isn't that a matter of weighing the evidence, whether he had, did sufficiently do so for the board? Isn't that asking me to come over behind them and reweigh? I would argue that it's not asking the board to reweigh. It's asking you, the court, to determine whether the, there's substantial evidence to support the board's conclusion that the intangible value was eliminated. And we would argue that there is not. Uh, even you know the respondent says the it, the chance of including that intangible value was minimized, but minimization is not elimination. 
You also claim that there was uh, that the concluded value by Mr. Bramer was arbitrary and not supported. Um, you want to address that? Sure, Your Honor. A, a number of the conclusions Mr. Bramer made in his income approach were arbitrary and lack support. For example, the uh, starting with the two to three percent range of sales, saying that that was how uh, department store leases were negotiated. Uh, I think much has been made about the data that Bramer provided. We don't dispute the claim that he provided that data. Uh, the issue lies with the fact that the data is completely unadjusted for market conditions, market conditions that both appraisers admitted had significantly changed in the past five years. <coughs> Pardon Are me. you talking about the the two to three percent range that he was focusing on? Correct. Is that, yeah. is that what you're talking about? Okay. He cited numerous sources from prior to 2012, but not one journal article, not one piece yeah. of appraisal guidance, not one comparable that shows that that methodology is still being used today. In spite of the market changes um, that have concerned, why was he unable to cite even one concrete source that his methodology was still sound? You know, the, the respondent claims there is a wealth of information prior to 2012 supporting those claims, but there's a sudden dearth of that information in 2012 that has not been adequately explained. We would argue that the data the amount of data is irrelevant. It's not actually representative of the market for the years under appeal. So let me make sure I understand your, your point here. You're saying that because he chose the midpoint between approximately the midpoint for each of the three years, between two and 3% of the gross sales, um, he didn't, he did not cite to authorities that use that methodology. Is that what you're saying to me? He did not cite to authorities that use that methodology for the years under the appeal in terms of the, in terms of the two to three percent. And oh, what if there was nothing in the years under appeal, but there was something? Is there a time frame that is required? There is not a time frame to, that is required, but typically, if you've got outdated data, appraisers do make adjustments to that data or cite sources that explain why no adjustment is needed. In this case- but Is there anything that defines what outdated means? Because here the Indiana board did not find it to be outdated sufficiently not to um, rely on it. Considering the board criticized Hall's use of comparables that were from 2012 and 2013 as being outdated, um, and Hall made actual adjustments to those data points, um, the fact that Bramer is using data points from the last century and a lot of data points that occurred to during the Great Recession, which is obviously a completely different market than the years under appeal, uh, you know, Paul Hall showed that values changed significantly um, since the Great Recession. I, I would say that, yes, there, you know, it, that data is outdated. Um, Could it be a, a function of the fact that methodologies were different? 
Could be a function of methodologies were different, but he did not explain that in spite of the admitted significant market changes that occurred in department stores in the last five years, why the methodology didn't there, there was no adjustment to methodology. It's given, given the fact that department stores are struggling, it kind of defies logic that department stores are still, you know, still negotiating leases the same way they would have been, you know, last century when department stores were all doing well. Well, with all due respect, defying logic is sort of a conclusory statement. Do you have any authority that would, I could hang my hat on to say, that this information is outdated. A manual or something. <clears throat> no, I don't have any authority, but I would argue that the burden was on the taxpayer to show that this data, that sources that he used were not outdated. And he- well, That was certainly their burden at the Indiana board, but it's your burden here to tell me that the Indiana board did something wrong so that it's reversible error. And here you're trying, I think, to tell me that it's reversible error, that the data was outdated, but you're not telling me it's contrary to law. You're not giving me any kind of uh, peg to hang my hat on that says that this is definitely outdated. And I'm not sure that I have a particular authority source to say that it was outdated, uh, just that the weight of the evidence does not support, given you know the market adjustments that uh, Mr. Hall made to his data and the considerable testimony that the market had changed uh, by both appraisers, that it's against the weight of the evidence to conclude that- Well, again, you keep talking about the weight of the evidence, and again, the weight of the evidence was a great argument before the Indiana board um, on this particular point. And um, uh, it's not really, what you need to do is show me one of my, one of the things that I can reverse this on. And I have to find that the board's finding that this data was not was relevant, I guess, is what it, another way of saying it, um, was wrong, contrary to law, contrary to um, something that's reversible error. With respect to the two three percent still being the you know the methodology that was used, Bramer's testimony or Bramer's only support was the conclusory statement that that's just still how it is done. Provided. Uh, so it, it there's not substantial evidence to show that a reasonable person would find that that methodology, given the substantial changes in the market that occurred over the last five years, it, that that two to three percent is still current. So you're saying that that um, that the use of the methodology Bramer used is um, not supported by substantial evidence and a reasonable person looking at that evidence would not find the way the board did. Is that what you're arguing? Yes. 
And, and there are a couple other points to that. Um, you know, not not just whether the two to three percent is current, but Bramer puts all this reliance on this percentage, yet he fails to actually establish an exact percentage in his appraisal. He concludes to that range instead. Uh, the percentage can obviously be derived from his price final price per square foot conclusions. But per its, his analysis, it's that percentage that should be used to drive the price per square foot, not the other way around. Uh, the board, in fact, did criticize the fact that he did not use a precise percentage. And I would argue that if he had done this with, say, his cap rate instead, concluded to a range of cap rates, that would not have been enough for the board. Even if they could have derived the cap rate he used in his final you know, analysis, that would not have been enough for the board to, to show that his concluded values were probative. Uh, he, he, they would want Bramer to specifically explain how he arrived at such an important percentage using the data he analyzed and showing why that percentage actually related to the subject property, particularly since he keeps emphasizing that this percentage is still so important. Um, with respect to the price per square foot, you know, that relies on the level of stabilized retail sales. He primarily relied on actual sales data from the Dillards and JCPenney's from the Green Tree Mall, yet he does not actually disclose what the JCPenney sales were. He did cite confidentiality issues with those, but you know, he included confidential, other confidential information on the face of his appraisal that he, he, he did not choose to admit. And because he admit, omitted that data, uh, the board could not actually review it to determine whether or not his conclusions that substantially relied on that JCPenney data were reasonable. Uh, given the struggles JCPenney has had across the country, uh, stores closing over the past few years, uh, it's questionable whether that data is even completely relevant to a store like Dillard's, particularly if it's not adjusted properly. Was and, in, is, does the record include um, evidence, facts that JCPenney was struggling, et cetera? Yes, it does. And I can give you a couple of those sites. <laughs> If, sure. if you would like, um, it, certified record at 1511, 1524, and 1593 discusses the various um, store closings that have happened over the past few years with JC Pennies. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And Bramer did not actually, you know, not, not only did he not, not cite that sales data, he did not actually walk the board through how he adjusted that sales data so that it would be comparable to something like a store like the Subject Dillard's. Those conclusions, those stabilized sales conclusions are not supported by market data the board could actually verify. And he merely just concludes to a price per square foot without any support for those adjustments made. And even the board, stated that that conclusion of price per square foot was somewhat arbitrary. He settled on a midpoint without explanation. It was conclusory in nature. And that conclusion was not insignificant because it could penalize the subject's value by as much as $1 million. And we would argue that it is akin 
uh, somewhat like the said real, realty case, it is akin to concluding a cap rate within a range of data without support for that. And the board was re reversed for that. Uh, it is also similar to the 2021 South Lake Indiana decision where uh, there's a you know, conclusion of price within a range, but no support for how he determined that range or why that midpoint was actually appropriate for the subject based on the sales data he reviewed. Um, substantial evidence requires more than speculation and conjecture. Uh, no reasonable mind would find that unadjusted data and unsupported arbitrary inputs, uh, the ones to which Bramer concluded in his income approach, would actually support the board's final determination. And therefore, by adopting those conclusory input inputs, the assessor argues that the decision was an abuse of discretion. Uh, it was against the logic and effect of the facts and circumstances of the case. Thank you. I have no more questions. Are you done? I would just add that we do believe the board should uh, be, the decision uh, should be reversed and remanded to the board to adopt Hall's conclusions under his income approach. The board did find those values minimally credible. His data was much more recent and much more reflective of the market and did not include the value of any intangible value and intangible property. And unlike Bramer, he actually adjusted that data and explained his adjustments and supported them on the face of his appraisal and in his testimony. He walked the board through every step of his analysis. We believe that some of the board's conclusions were erroneous. Uh, for example, it appears that the board seemed to think that one of the leases was not a retail use. Uh, that it was released to an airline instead as a secondary user, but that was actually in an entertainment center. Uh, Bramer also used entertainment centers. Uh, the, there's some argument in the board's decision that would imply that leases to secondary users are not permissible to rely upon. I our county coals and the vast majority of big box or big box cases uh, states that the current use component with respect to market value use has been interpreted broadly. Uh, properties that are sold to secondary users can be comparable. And so long as those properties are retail use, which is what all false properties were, secondary users to retail use, we would argue that those, you know, those were comparable enough to establish market value and use. Um, the board also indicated that some of the leases were perhaps outdated. Uh, three of the leases were two years within the 2019 valuation date. Uh, leases four and five were from 2012 and 2013, but he all actually adjusted those comparables. Again, We've, we've been through this, I realize, but Bramer did not make any adjustments for his data that occurred before 2012. Uh, there was also some discussion of whether the leases were renewals. The board seemed to misunderstand that. Uh, one and two were new leases. At least five was an existing tenant, but it wasn't the typical type of renewal that the board, the board criticized. In this case, the store moved from one space to another. Uh, that's clearly different from a lease renewal since 
you've got new terms, you've got a completely new space, a completely new location, layout, size, um, other factors that make that a new lease. So we would just argue that the board, because Bramer did not adequately establish its concluded values and eliminate intangible value, the board's decisions adopting those values were contrary to law. It abused its discretion by adopting methodology and conclusions found to be critically flawed because it value the intangible Substantial evidence requires more than speculation and conjecture. Excuse me a minute, Ms. Ingles. I'm sorry. Is the, somebody is talking in the background that's on here by phone, and it starts out at 1954. The last three numbers are 237. Could you please mute? Thank you very much. Go ahead, Ms. Ingle. I'm you know, I'm sorry, Judge. This is the court reporter. I kept getting an interruption, and I'd like, if it's okay, Ms. Ingle, to repeat from. So we would just argue that the board, because of Bramer, did not adequately establish. Can you go from there? Because he was interrupting or she was interrupting, and I had a hard time. I would be happy to. Uh, because Bramer didn't adequately establish his concluded values, eliminated intangible value, the board's decision adopting those values was contrary to law and it abused its discretion by adopting methodology and conclusions it found to be critically flawed because of their propensity, I apologize, to value the intangible component of the property. Substantial evidence requires more than speculation and conjecture. No reasonable mind would find that the unadjusted data and unsupported and arbitrary inputs to which Bramer concluded in his income approach would support the board's final determination. And therefore, the board's decision was an abuse of discretion because it was also against the logic and effects of the facts and circumstances of the case. His sales comparison is also flawed because it relies on components from the income approach as well, including those stabilized sales numbers. We would just ask that the court reverse the board's decision and remand with instruction to adopt the values concluded under Hall's income approach. And that is all I have, Your Honor. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you up here again in a moment. Mr. Jones, whenever you're ready, sir. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, may it please the court. Uh, Paul Jones, on behalf of Diller Department Stores, Inc., uh, the appellee in this case, and the taxpayer. Uh, this is a very straightforward case of the assessor asking this court to reweigh evidence and to reverse the IBTR uh, when it did its job and made a uh, analysis of two appraisal reports prepared by MAIs. Um, Mr. Hall, Mr. Bramer, both very experienced, uh, very qualified to appraise the subject. As your honor stated, they were quite a bit different in their um, final values, 10 million or so versus 5 million. But the board looked at both those appraisals. They listened to all the testimony. They read the briefs. They heard these discrepancies about sales and intangibles and the impact of these things. And the board decided that Bramer's appraisal was more persuasive. There's nothing for this court to really weigh in on as to the facts or the law. In fact, when you look at the IBTR's decision on the law and their analysis, they don't really even get into case law that much. There's not a whole lot of case law to get into here because it was simply a valuation dispute with two appraisals by two MAIs and the board sided with the Dillard's appraiser. Uh, this, explain to me um, what your take is on 
uh, what Ms. Engel said, which if you choose to use, as Mr. Bramer did, the percentage of, I always have, I have to think of all these words all strung together, the percentage sure. of stabilized gross uh, retail sales, if you choose to use that methodology, you are choosing to use one that is inherently including intangibles and that something had to be done about that under our uh, Indiana rules. Uh, would you address that, please? Absolutely, Your Honor. Um, I, I think a lot of things were being mischaracterized in that discussion uh, because Mr. Bramer was very careful in his report and in his testimony to explain why retail sales are important for anchor department store valuation and to explain there is this risk of valuing the business when you take this approach. And so he took care not to do that. If, if the court would look at record at 241, uh, record at 0241, that's a, <clears throat> that's a uh, section in Bramer's appraisal where he's talking about the importance of retail sales. And he specifically says, if a particular store has sales levels substantially above or below that of an anchor store in the area, then the rent level has to be adjusted up or down to indicate what it would be for a typical store operation. This minimizes the possibility of giving consideration to the business value element of the going concern when only the underlying real estate is being valued. And did he do that? And that's exactly what he did. He established the sales range two to 3% that we've talked about based on a hundred years of data. That gets lost in translation here. They're talking about old data. The fact is since 1920, what Bramer talked about was from 1920 to 2020, it's basically been the same range, two to 3% for anchor stores. That's it. So when I hear, oh, it's uh, you know old data, well, it's actually old consistent data that's been the same for decades which to me is why the IBTR then got very comfortable with what Bramer did. And uh, if we look at their decision, and, and that's in the record as well, uh, I'll just read from the decision though. It's, it's paragraph 66 of the decision. They say, and this is about the middle of that, paragraph 66, given Bramer's admission that different businesses may expect different sales in a particular location, there is some risk of valuing the business, either of the comparables or comparison of the subject property rather than the particular location. Second, it means much of his valuation is premised on subjective estimates of stabilized income rather than clear market data. Despite these concerns, we agree with Bramer that this is an accepted method to value anchor department stores. And given the lack of market data to support more traditional methods of valuation, we find his choice reasonable. Well, the board yeah. found it reasonable because the two to 3% is a longstanding range that Bramer established. And he didn't stop there. He took the next step to say, okay, the range for the last hundred years has been two to 3%. What is the proper... Uh, percent of sales to derive the rent at this location. And he does that in his report uh, by looking at, uh, and he talks about, you know, sort of these ranges um, where Dillard's and this particular mall kind of fall in the spectrum. 
And then they, and then he concludes to the 2.4%, and then for the other year, 2.5%, based on his experience, 20 years of experience appraising over 100 department stores, several discussions with market participants to understand what the right ranges would be, and then um, looking at actual sales at this store, at the Dillard's, as well as other stores in the mall. And also others, as you can see from the record, eight different sources that he looked at. And that range is the same every time. And then he adjusted within that for this particular property based on those ranges of sales. And that data is all on the record. I don't know that we need to get into all of the different, you know, uh, confidential squares, per, you know, dollars per no. square foot. Let me, but let it's me, it, just, but it's all in there. Let me make sure I'm understanding. Um, so you're saying that what Bramer did in front of the Indiana bar, uh, board mm -hmm. is to say, to show with authority mm -hmm. that retail sales are very important when valuing an anchor store of them all. Yes, Your Honor. And that it does have this inherent risk that's involved with it. It's both that you'd be subjective in part and um, have in, intangibles in part. Mm -hmm. um, nonetheless, you can minimize that by adjusting. That's where I'm having a little trouble. How did he go ahead and minimize? Was that the one that he adjusted to 2.4? Was that him minimizing that risk? And was that the only one that need to be adjusted because also it said that the closer you are to all your comparable rents, the more the less likely you are to have um, intangibles. At least I think that's what it said. So help me out here. I, I understand where you're going. So I, I think to, this is really getting into the second part of his analysis. So the first part, which again, I think is undisputed in the record and completely supported by lots of data, lots of testimony and absolutely nothing to rebut it in the record, this two to 3% range. Bramer then took the two to 3% range and this is in record at 249. Again, it's uh, record at 0249. This is part of his appraisal report, but he also testified about this. He understands the point you're making, Your Honor, that you know you have this range, two to three percent. As an appraiser, how does he then focus that range to the specific subject property? And what he does on that page is he looks at a preset per square foot rental rate based on data that he has from other anchor department stores. Because again, uh, Bramer is uh, an expert in malls and retail department stores. This is primarily what he focuses on. He's done hundreds of these. He takes that experience, that information, he breaks it into these two categories, square foot rental rate and percentage of retail store sales. And he goes through, and again, we have another table that sort of backs up this you know, uh, conclusion that he's making. But what he what he does, uh, I'm just going to read from it at the bottom of the page to, to try to explain it. I think his his words are better than mine. Um, 
Two methods were considered in deriving market rent for the subject. The first was by looking at a range of rental rates and he, he shows $2.33 to $5.50. The second was to look at uh, stabilized sales for the subject and um, that indicated two to three dollars. On the next page, uh, record at 0250, he then concludes to the uh, dollar, two, $2.50, $2.40, $2.40, which is to tie this back 2.5% and 2.4% because he, he assumed a market retail sales amount of $100 a square foot. He derived that $100 a square foot by looking at retail sales ranges from other anchored apartment stores. He didn't just look at Dillard's uh, sales. I think to go back to this intangible point, if Bramer had only looked at Dillard's sales and nothing else, and said, it's a percentage of those sales that equals what would be contract rent if this wasn't owner occupied. Then maybe we have a problem with intangibles because then there's been no adjustment for the market. There's your base is similar to looking at contract rent for a property. But Bramer did not do that. He looked for the two to 3% range over hundred years of data and established a market norm. He then looked at all these other sources for what are the typical rents what are the typical sales? And he determined $100 a square foot for this location. And when he was deciding between the range of 2% and 3%, he looked at the, this property type compared to other anchors, compared to other malls. Uh, some are far worse off than this mall. Some are far better off than this mall. And he came down to 2.5 and 2.4%, which ended up being 250 and 240. And all of that is substantiated with the report, the data in the report, the testimony in the record about all of that. Um, this notion that there's no um, authority or evidence or uh, backing for what Bramer did is, is just false. The record is full of this kind of information. And he ties it together. And to go back to the IBTR decision, they found it reasonable. They found it more persuasive than what Hall did. Doesn't take away from what Hall did. He It, it was two really good appraisers what battling. Can you um, address for me the claim that the 2012 data, Bramer's data from 2012 and before is outdated and should, uh, shouldn't have been relied upon? The uh, so the second issue, um, so getting beyond the intangibles and just addressing the, the age of the data, Your Honor? Uh, apparently, the uh, claim by the assessor mm -hmm. is that the data relied on by mm -hmm. Mr. Bramer was, well, of course, it was centuries old, as she, she put it. Nonetheless, there was a a lot of uh, specific data. Uh, 2012 is the newest, I think, the closest in time to the years at issue, which she is claiming is um, uh, diminishes its reliability, I guess, is what she's claiming. Okay. 
Well, um, I'll start with the fact that, again, I think that my view differs on the fact that we have old data here. I don't think old data just means that it's no good. Um, Bramer did not include an article from 1920 just because, just because he felt like it. He explained each one of these sources. So he goes through eight different sources to this, and there's there's more as well in his testimony because he talks about his discussions with market participants and other anchor department stores, but he identifies eight specific sources. And if we go through them, I, I agree, they're older. He starts with the 1920 study. He kind of goes through some data in the uh, late two, you know, 2008 or so. Um, it gets as recent as 2012. Uh, for the most part, in these studies. But after he goes through all of that data, he then does a very specific analysis for each year. And um, that's actually in his appraisal report. I'm trying to get to the, the site. But... One second, Your Honor. I... I had it up before. Um, the um, at the end of the day, what what Bramer does is to um, you know essentially update all of that data uh, in his income approach when he is determining the rental rate for each of those years. If the two to three percent range established by the um, historical data, uh, the hundred years of data that show that two to three percent. If that was out of whack, he wouldn't have been able to update and do what he did in his income approach. Well, what about um, what? How how do you address the the comment by uh, Ms. Engel that <clears throat> there was a the Great Recession happened around the time that the of the um, years at issue and doesn't seem to be reflected, or she questions, I guess, that it's reflected by Mr. Bramer in his data. Well, in the, um, again, that 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 is, I'll, I'll get back to the point about the, um, the fact that there, there has been a downturn or the recession. I, I'm not sure what uh, that relates to here. We're talking about 1-1-2018, and forward. And this is record at 0248. I apologize, I was having trouble finding the page. Um, again, it's from Bramer's appraisal. And in his report, when he goes through and establishes stabilized retail store sales for each of the years in issue, he is using uh, data very relevant to each of those years. So, um, Starting at the top, when he's looking at 1118, he looks at retail sales for 25, 2015 to 17. Um, then he looks at actual retail sales for other anchors from 2015 to 2017. He then looks at retail sales for other anchors at comparable malls in Indiana from 2015 to 2017. It's not like he just found this two to 3% range uh, from data that goes from 1920 to 2012 and then just stopped his analysis and said, Oh, it's two to three percent. He actually goes into some great depth on two four eight to explain how for each year 
he's arriving at the percentage and the rental rate that he chose. And if we need to go uh, even further than his report, which I think covers it adequately, we also have evidence in the record uh, during his testimony. Um, and this is record at um, about 1379 through 1381. 1391 uh, or 1381? Uh, which again, in my view, we're talking about a few a few years here, and his data is all gets past. I mean, the, the data in the later sources is all past the Great Recession, so I don't know where they're going with that. But in any event, there's a few years of a gap there, and what Bramer testified and said. He, he says. Well, that is the biggest thing, finding, um, uh, finding the, um, we've talked about this numerous times over the course of the day. And then he says, the best method we have is we actually have connections with the retailers, connections with Neiman Marcus, JCPenney, Macy's, Dillard's, and I can talk to them and find out if these ranges are still acceptable ways to determine gross sales per square foot that might be expected at the property. When we was then asked, is there anything that he's aware of that would contradict the two to 3% and suggest that somehow since 2012, that's no longer a valid metric? He simply answered no. And that's on record at 1381. There is nothing in this record to suggest that his two to 3% range that he established with over a hundred years of data and updated for each of the assessment years is anything but entirely supported, entirely backed up. And, and it's also done in the context of someone who's doing this appraiser as someone who is an expert in anchor department stores and in retail malls. He knows how to do this and he knows what these ranges are. And so to question his, especially to ask this court to question his adjustment between two to 3% and to decide whether 2.4, 2.5% was right or wrong, in my view, that is so far beyond what this court should be doing. This court should be reviewing things legal, you know, legal error, contrary to law, arbitrary, capricious, unsupported by the record. We have a full appraisal here, a full testimony, explanation for both the intangibles point and for this, um, you know, age of the data point. And on both fronts, there's plenty of plenty of evidence in the record, more than sufficient for this court to just simply affirm what the IBTR did. They've already, they've done all the work. They read through all of this and approved Bramer over Hall. There's always issues in every appraisal in each of these cases. In this case, the board found Bramer more persuasive. And we'd ask the court that they, that the court simply affirm uh, the board's decision in this case based on that. Thank you very much. Any further questions, Your Honor? No, I have none. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Ms. Engel. Thank you, Your Honor. 
Again, we're not asking the court to reweigh the evidence here. There's considerable testimony indicating that an intangible value is inherent in Bramer's methodology. And Bramer failed to explain how he eliminated that intangible value. It's very similar to the Hendricks County Max case, in which case, in which the appraiser did not explain how the value of personal property was eliminated or potentially intangible value as well. Uh, the, Mr. Jones mentioned that he tried to conclude to some type of market determination of what stabilized retail sales are. But that sales data, every data point, if sales are driven by the business models of these stores, every single data point also includes inherent business value in those sales. By concluding to some type of market or rated average, Mr. Bramer did not explain how he eliminated that intangible value. He basically arrived at a market value of that intangible value and failed to quantify it and failed to eliminate it. With respect to the adjustments he made, he also did not provide any supporting data to the adjustments that, he, how he arrived at those adjustments, how he arrived at those determinations to actually arrive at those stabilized sales points. And as mentioned earlier, the one of the primary sources for the sales values that he used were those JCPenney sales at the same mall, data which he did not actually provide. He indicated, Bramer indicated that he minimized the risk of including intangible value. He did not state that he eliminated that risk. Minimization is not elimination. And if that value includes any intangible value, whether it's a positive impact or a negative impact to value, it contravenes Indiana assessment guidelines. With respect to the two to 3%, uh, we were not disputing that uh, Bramer used sales data that was from 2012. We're disputing whether the 2 to 3% rule is still applicable uh, when the market, and there's considerable testimony on the record, that the market for these department stores have changed. Department stores are struggling. There is nothing on the record that indicates that department stores in spite of those changes are still negotiating rents based on the two to 3% range. Uh, he did indicate that he talked to, you know, various department stores to see if that's how it was still done. He mentions he, you know, his experience. Uh, none of those are independent sources. Um, you know, there, there's considerable data, you know, prior to 2012, but what, you know, the dearth of data after 2012 supporting that two to 3% range um, is not explained. And the choice of mid, you know, the, the midpoint was mentioned. Yes, he did not use the market value or he did not use Dillard's actual sales. He chose a midpoint, but we'd also remind the, you know, the court that the board found that that midpoint was somewhat arbitrary and was unsupported. So to say that we're just merely asking the board to reweigh the evidence and, and not getting, you know, 
not arguing that there's arbitrary information being relied on here, I think it is a mischaracterization of our argument. Uh, the board did in fact state that that midpoint was arbitrary. He did not explain how he arrived at that amount. Um, and we would argue that no reasonable person could look at that decision and see that the conclusions in Mr. Bramer's income approach and therefore the conclusions that the board adopted uh, that there there's you could look at that and say that that uh, that decision was supported and unless you have any other questions at this time we would just ask again that the board reverse uh, the decision of the board and remand it to uh, the board to adopt the income conclusions under halls or the the conclusions under halls income approach Thank you, Ms. Engel. Thank you both for uh, Mr. Jones and Ms. Engel for your argument today. And uh, the court now takes this case under advisement and uh, the court is now adjourned. Thank you, Thank Your Honor. You.